Hey, everybody. I just want to thank those who have subscribed to FilmWax's Patreon, which can, by the way, be found at patreon.com slash filmwaxradio. They include Sidney Stern, Holly Kolka, Marion Brown, Jim Infantino, Madeline Olnick, Vanessa Gould, Josh Crockett, Aaron West, Natalie Ortiz, Ron Kovis, Lawrence Lusthaus, Sujiwa Ekonayaka, and Katie Bissinger. Thank you to all of those folks. I appreciate it very much. It's an enormous help to a show which is about helping independent films and art house films. So it goes a long way in making the show more secure. Thank you very much. And now on with the show. Film Wax Radio. Film Wax Radio. Okay. Hello, this is Hal Hartley, and you're listening to Film Wax Radio. Hi, everybody. It's Adam Shartoff, your host of Film Wax Radio. It's Friday, July 2nd, 2020. And this is episode number 675. Returning to the show, our friend Beth B. With her new documentary, Lydia Lunch, The War is Never Over. That will be first. Followed by an indie explosion of actors. And it's one of the oldest friends of the podcast. All in one segment. Which will be the second segment. We're going to celebrate a film. It's called Scenes from an Empty Church. It's written and directed by... Well, I know it's written in part by owner Tukel, our old friend of the show. Uh, he wrote it with uh, Andrew Shemin. But he directed it. He's, of course, had a myriad films, including a film I once was in called Richard's Wedding, followed up by Summer of Blood, Applesauce, Catfight, and others. And now he's back with Scenes from an Empty Church. And the film stars Kevin Corrigan, friend of the podcast, Thomas J. Ryan, friend of the podcast, and Max Casella, new friend of the podcast. All three actors will be here with owner in a little while. We'll talk about that film in the intro following my conversation with Beth B. around her new documentary. Both segments can be viewed, by the way, on FilmWax's YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com slash filmwaxradio and you can watch them. You may actually really want to watch the, the second one especially. And I only say that because there's five of us. So, and there were, we're all men. So it might be a little bit confusing listening to it, although... I don't think it matters that much. But if you would prefer, you can go to the YouTube channel and watch us be silly people. But we're celebrating a great film, um, and I'm going to talk about it in a little while. Okay, Beth B's film is called Lydia Lunch, The War is Never Over. It's in theaters and virtual cinemas uh, as I speak. I think it opened on Wednesday, this past Wednesday, June 30th. For those who live in New York City or who want to go to New York City to see it on the big screen... It's at the IFC Center in the Village. It will be rolling out nationally and perhaps internationally over the coming weeks. The film is uh, the first career-spanning documentary retrospective of the artist and spoken word poet Lydia Lunch. And can, uh, if you don't live near a theater that's playing it, go to Mark Kino Marquee. That's K-I-N-O-M-A-R-Q-U-E-E dot com. Kino Marquee. 
Uh, and it's, of course, directed by our friend Beth B., who's so prolific, and, and she's part of uh, the No Wave movement of, that started back, I think, in the 80s in New York City. The film had its uh, big world premiere at the South by Southwest Film Festival last year. Unfortunately, though, it could not have a public screening because of the pandemic. But what can I tell you? It is now out, and it's such a good film. Lydia Lunch, The War is Never Over, traces Lunch's beginnings in the late 1970s New York City downtown scenes with her band Teenage Jesus and the Jerks, a central pillar of the no-wave music movement, and follows her storied career as an artist and legendary spoken word poet, touching on her many collaborations with a diverse collection of artists, writers, and musicians, including Alan Vega of Suicide, Hubert Selby Jr., and Nick Cave and Sonic Youth. The film blends interviews with Lydia and those in her uh, circle with archival footage of 1970s bands and photographs of New York City, along with contemporary onstage performances by Lunch. I guess uh, Beth and Lydia knew each other. Beth was um, a little older than Lydia, but they met when Lydia was 19 years old in that downtown music and art scene. And um, the the film explores that time as well as what Lydia has been up to. I know that they're kind of going around together to celebrate this film and to uh, appear at some screenings. So... So go to LydiaLunchMovie.com to get details. Here's a bit of the trailer, and then we'll hear from Beth B. Here she is right now, back on Filmwax Radio. Lydia is the queen of the underground, and yet she's a misfit within it, because I think that she is so brutally honest that some people can't maybe handle what she does. I think Lydia's reactionary, but really artfully reactionary. Get your gun, woman. Get your fucking gun, all right? Because there's a rumor going around we never believe in and that the fucking war has just begun, baby. That the war is never over. That the war is never Lydia ever- always talks about how the war is never over. She's been saying this for 30 years. I'm Lydia Lunch, and if you think you know me now, I think you need to know a little bit more about me. Hi, Adam. How are you, Beth? I'm pretty good. Oh, good. good. I was eager to talk to you and to connect, so... I, I, I'm so glad. So what do you want to, you know, talk about? What is your focus? We did talk last year. And I, I should have listened to what we, we did. Last, do you remember? We did a thing last year. Yeah. I guess it would have been in February, right? It would have been just preceding what was orig- the original plan for the release. <laughs> exactly. But it's interesting. It led me to think about releasing this film. Oh, are we during? Starting? We could, yeah, we're kind of just starting Lydia Lunch, Lydia, oh, talking about Lydia Lunch with Beth B. And yeah, that, I, I apologize. That's sort of my inept way of starting most shows. Talk, let's talk about like you were, getting, you were on the cusp of releasing it and there was a different president at the time. <laughs> what, what has the last year been like? What, what, when it, what, what were you going through right before you, you, you just sort of decided to switch gears? You were getting ready for, was it a, was it a premiere or were you just going into a festival? I can't remember. We were just about to leave for South by Southwest. That's what it is. Okay. One yeah. week out, bought all the tickets, the hotel rooms. Oh my, my God. My, my, 
daughter and my partner were coming with and a couple of other friends, you know, it was like so exciting. And then the pandemic hit. Right. So there was a lot of shock, disappointment, confusion. It's so hard with independent filmmaking to get on anyone's radar. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. That's why I do the show. Yeah. And so, you know, we had, you know, gotten into South by Southwest. We had gotten Which other great really, thing. really important festivals like the Sheffield Dock Fest, the, you know, Dock Lisboa, a whole lineup of screenings all over the world. And then suddenly it's all gone. So it was definitely, I had to kind of scrape myself up off the floor, which, you know, I often have to do. <laughs> I know, but... It's, you hope you that over time you don't have to do it. Like something should just come a little easier, but yeah, no, I feel like I have chosen a path in my life where nothing's easy and hmm. the challenge is always there with every film. And I guess that says something about me, my resiliency. And also that um, I don't, I don't like to do things that are easy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, it's almost like the battle of Lydia Lunch is my battle as well. You know, I feel like there is a, 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 from a young age, you know, being told, don't do this, do this, don't do that. You know, and I rebelled from a young age and that has stayed with me. And mm-hmm. I love to voice the unheard and speak out as loudly and sometimes as brutally as I need to, to get people's attention. And sometimes people go, oh, why are your films so provocative? And it's not that they're so provocative, they're telling truths. Right, Um, maybe the better question is why are so many other films not? (laughs) Because they're trying to fit into, in a way, the mainstream and what sells and what's appealing and let's have a feel-good ride. My life and what I'm interested in is not necessarily a feel-good ride, but I, I feel that there is an intensity to it, an integrity, an honesty that then hopefully hits the audience and they walk away with questions about themselves personally. Sure. You know, it's an intimate exchange and experience. And so in some ways, you know, the Lydia Lunch film was very, you know, that's really attracted me to making the film with Lydia because I've known her for 40 you met when years. You, were, you met you were very young when you guys met, right? In the 70s. She was barely out of her. She was still a teenager. She was 19 when I met her. Yeah, I was Incredible. 23. So, you know, the, but, you know, the pandemic in some ways helped yes. me to come to a place in myself, which I'm not sure I had been to previously, hmm. which was considering life, just life, life, being and I actually loved it. I loved being in the woods with the birds and the sky and all the insects and a lake a couple blocks away and being here with my teenage daughter and my partner. And it mm. was like a little cocoon. And in some ways, um, I felt like it brought me closer to myself. I worked on um I mentored my daughter to write a feature-length screenplay to tell her story, which is really an extraordinary script. Um, Lydia and I had a lot of, you know, phone exchanges and just, you know, moaning and groaning, but also, okay, let's let's continue to work. Lydia ended up uh, 
doing a documentary film about depression. And, you know, there are different ways of being what we call productive. And for me, that time was very much about um, not, oh, the magic door has opened. Elijah's arrived. <laughs> it's, it's about opening doors that perhaps were not open within oneself in the yeah. past. And I felt like that during the pandemic. It was like a kind of peace and solace of, um, of not having to be a human doing, but just being a human being, being within myself. Yes. And, and now it's given me a different kind of energy and thoughts about future that I'm looking forward to. And the most exciting thing is that we finally have opened up and the film is opening at the IFC Center on June 30th. And it's opening around the country nationally and internationally. And Lydia is going to be playing live at TVI on July 2nd. Oh, very during with the her band yeah. retrovirus say that again with her band retrovirus, so retrovirus. where is it what is the name of the place uh tvi it's out yeah. in brooklyn it's in brooklyn and yeah. uh oh well i'll try to remember to plug that as well because that's during her week of the it's during her theatrical week she got a theatrical exactly news. we have a theatrical release of the film Mm -hmm. And uh, we hope people come out to the theater with Lydia and I will actually be there in person doing a Q&A. Yes. So you can actually engage with Beth B and Lydia Lunch. And it's, uh, <laughs> you will want to after you see the documentary because it, yeah, you'll just feel closer to Lydia. I mean, you'll, you'll want to engage with her and, and connect with her. Well, I was wondering, and I was going to start off by asking this, but I guess I was under the impression I guess if you were at South by in, the, in this hypothetical version of a non-pandemic experience, which I'm only bringing up because maybe you would have had a, a, an earlier theatrical, perhaps maybe with somebody, Kino might've seen it there or some other. And I just wonder if you feel like, um, let's say it come out before November, then there was all the rage was, we needed all the rage we could get back then. I mean, I think we, we obviously still do, but I wonder if you felt like, the timing of the theatrical, is there, would there have been any difference before, like last year as opposed to this year with no, this particular subject? I don't know. I don't really think so. In a way, for me, the film about Lydia, it's called Lydia Lunch, The War is Never Over. Well, there you go. There you go. It's very open-ended. You know, right. we're in battle all the time. Uh, and it's it it really was not be a biopic. That is not my intent whatsoever. I really felt like it was important to look back at some history. And that's where a lot of my filmmaking and art installations, photography, it, it, it comes out of a sense of looking back at history. What can we learn? What can we glean from that place in the past to bring us up to where we are in the present to inform us in the present and take that into the future. And so in many ways, I wanted it to inform us in that way, but also to give younger people a bit of that journey that we older people have taken, because I think that a lot of young and especially young women, um, they really don't have that information. And so 
it's critical because you look at what Lydia was screaming about 40 years ago, okay? You look at someone like Ida Mae Park, who made the film Bread in, I think, 1918. It was the same, same issues. It's like Harvey Weinstein in 1918. She made that film, which was about the abuses suffered by women in Hollywood. And so it's really important to remind young people, especially, that there has been this struggle and we have to continue to speak out because even though Ida Mae Parks was speaking out in 1918, it's like we move a little forward, then we take 20 steps backwards. We right. move a little forward, so, you know, so we, there's a sense of amnesia in our culture. And in some ways, this film is critically speaking about that amnesia and saying, do not forget, and that we all have to be activists in a way in our lives. Yeah, I know I was just, the, well, this is also the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa massacre. So there's been a lot of news about that. And you think about the parallels there during this Jim Crow period. Yeah. And how it was like one person I was talking to on the show, she's a Washington Post journalist. And she was talking about how just even for an, a black person to walk down the street was an act of political, like a political act. You know, and where, how far have we come, you know, because so I, I think you're right. If we're all activists, then we don't get lazy. We don't just sort of live a life of allowing things to change, but we actually participate in the change all the time. Yeah. And not know? to take things for granted. Not to take things for granted. Really, you can't if you're participating, right? Really yeah. what I think is important. And Lydia is so articulate and yet also humorous and yet you know, abrasive, um, all of, and that's something that I really wanted and compassionate and all the different dimensions were important for me Mm -hmm. to bring out in the film, because I think that there is a sense of persona in someone who does have a larger than life persona like Lydia. Right. And sometimes that's all people see when they see her on stage. And for me, it was critically important to show the dimensions of her personality, her character, the depth of her sensitivity, because I think that that brings us closer to her. And that in all my films, that is really uh, my goal is to humanize someone who perhaps we've put up on a pedestal. Right. Or that we only have, like you say, the sort of the surface impression of that the most you know, what, what's the word? Not obvious, but something along those lines, you know, like somebody does such an act of, that's so large, you're going to see that, as you said, and maybe you're not thinking about all the, what, what created that? Where does that come from? All these exactly. things in the film goes down that road. Yes. And exactly. You know, many people have said to me, you know, that the film has helped them. Has it? Oh, to, that's nice. To, to, to be more informed about why she does what she does. Mm-hmm. And I think once you feel that kind of um, compassion for another person and it helps you to identify and that what they're talking about is a, and it, my films and what Lydia has done in her performances and music, it's always been a universal message. 
Um, sometimes the approach is to smack people upside of the head to get their attention, wake them up. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's important. That's important. Uh, you know, there's a fantastic, pretty extreme, uh, performance artist named Rose Wood, and she was in my film Exposed. And there is one performance she did where she embodied a serial killer. And in the performance, she drags a woman in the audience up onto the stage, chloroforms her, drags her up to the stage, and then really kind of eviscerates her. And at the end is with the chainsaw. And people said to me, why did you have that in there? Uh, you know, it was too brutal, too excruciating. Mm-hmm. This is what has happened, you know, to women forever. Right. Uh, we are eviscerated. We, we are, you know, genital mutilation, you know, God knows what the brutality. And so it's bringing a reality. Bill Cosby. <laughs> exactly. Bill Cosby. Uses, but For 50 years, can, they knew what he was, people were talking about what he was doing. So there is a complicit yes. side to it well, when, when you don't are, want to see it. And you're saying you can't yes. be complicit. Yeah. It's really important. Um, and, you know, a friend of mine said, oh, you should have cut that. And I was like, no, that is this performer's integrity and it's their journey. And it's not mm-hmm. my job to censor someone's journey. It's my job to hopefully help people understand the journey. Right. But it, it could compromise for you as in, to have a career and to profit from your films. I mean, that that is an awfully... People might say that that's not the most, uh, you know, um, practical choice, right? To include something like that. But Maybe- I'm not practical. I do what I have to do. It's not a choice. Uh-huh. Like in the late '70s, it was. It was not like, oh, I had a choice to, you know, mm-hmm. paint pretty pictures of flowers. No, it was that I had to scream. I had to, you know, the films that I made were really uh, aggressive, violent, abrasive because that's what I needed to exercise out of my own body and mind. I'm not there to please other people. I've gotten maybe a little less, you know, in your face. And I try to like seduce people into my films uh, a little bit more these days. Then I smack them over the head. But you know, it's, 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 I've never been a filmmaker that's making commercial films. It's, it's, or profit, it's that I have usually something very deep, dark inside myself. And I'm not even sure sometimes why I'm embarking on a film, except that it's something burning inside me that I have a passion about that I become obsessed with, and I've got to make this film. So it's, you know, and that, that's been my approach. It's not, you know, I, I worked in television for eight years. So I was like, oh, my God, I've got to make a living. I've got to get paid for what I'm doing. And I learned a tremendous amount about sort of collaboration and working on a very different level, actually. Oh, my God, having a cinematographer and, a you know, an editor, all, you know, and paying them well and all of that. I brought my own projects to the networks and had a fantastic ride. But at a certain point, what happened is that you know, the networks really started to expand and suddenly I was having to speak to 
three executives and it was like, take this out, take this out, take this out. Yeah, everything, course, everything by committee. Sure. Yes. The committee, the corporate, you know, corporate yeah. structure that I really was not enamored of. And after about eight years, I was like, okay, done. I've made, I, you know, it helped me to be able to get this wonderful place in the country. I love it. But, you know, I could not do it anymore. And that's what really brought me back to independent, completely uncensored cinema. And that's exposed was that was that film, which it was like, you know, people uh, in the performance scene under back into the underground of New York with really extreme performers who were using the vehicle of burlesque right. to speak about some very uh, cutting edge social political topics. So, you know, my films now I'm back in the completely independent underground, but this one has made it above ground. And I'm so pleased you asked that question about, you know, in retrospect, whether it was, whether the Lydia lunch, the war is never over. If it had been released a year and a half ago versus now, you know, the advantage I really have is that Kino Lorber, our distributor, uh-huh. came in and they said they started to acquire my my other films and acquired Lydia Lunch, The Wars Never Have It. So they actually um, have acquired my entire catalog of films and are Wait, restoring how- them all. Wow. How many yeah. films are you? Yeah, that's wonderful news. <laughs> We're news breaking here. It Maybe is. it's already out, but uh, it uh, is, it is. It's news breaking. It's like, can you believe it? And releasing some of them theatrically and doing DVDs. And so all those films, the old films, the super eights, the 16 millimeter, 35 millimeter, wow. body salvation, black box, you know, all of those films will be restored and available finally. So you handed over those various media types you know right uh get it like super eight super eight all the different media formats that you filmed on or shot over the years yeah i imagine there's quite a few different (laughs) types there you can't Uh, believe and moma also museum of modern art they restored one of the the films the old film uh uh the offenders and so that's been restored so slowly slowly and by 2022 you know, we will be releasing them through Kino Lorber. Awesome. Well, that's great. We'll, 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 we'll do another, we'll have to do another segment when that happens. So we can yeah, let cool. people know how to, that'd be wonderful. Well, you guys met in the seventies, I guess now what they refer to as the no wave scene in New York, right? So that's when you met Lydia. That is when I met Lydia. Um, we were doing a film called Black Box and, you know, that actually is the time I went to a club. I can't remember where it was. Max's, it was probably Max's. And saw Union her on Max's Kansas City in New York oh. City. Mm-hmm. Saw her on stage and was like completely like, who is that? Yeah. You know, she was like black hair, short cut, very severely, um, I think wearing a, a slip top and a, you know, super sh- beyond micro mini uh, leather skirt and screaming like an extraordinary banshee and the set was i think the entire set was 15 minutes long <laughs> it was just like getting the point across boom 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 get the point across leave and the then, stage right and that I, it's so much uh, i i related to it so much on a visceral level 
you know, just getting that, like people say, oh my God, Beth, you know, Lydia Lunch, the war is never over. The movie is, it's only 78 minutes. How did you condense Lydia's? And for me, it's not like I'm trying to tell her entire life. It's thematically based. And Lydia and I, I mean, it's been fascinating because we've worked on and off for all these years. Um, and it's, it, I think what has really majorly attracted us to each other is that our themes have really kind of connected through the years. And that's when we find ourselves like, oh, okay, let's, let's, let's work on this together. And we find another project to work on. And so when I saw her and felt like, oh, this is the image and embodiment of a woman I have never seen. She was so original and she still is so original and unique. There is no other Lydia Lunch. Um, I, I was enamored of her and frightened of her mm-hmm. and cast her in the oh, I bet you like that. Black Box. Like, yeah. Okay. Was, yeah. Well, you, oh, so Black Box was a theatrical? No, it was or not a, theatrical. It was a short film. I think okay. we lost our connection there. We may have. You, we, I think for a second, we, yeah, it froze. It's okay. We the okay. audio the audio wasn't interrupted. So, I, however, okay. it's okay to. It doesn't have to be perfect. The message gets across. We are not perfect. God knows. Exactly. No, no. <laughs> She's so fascinating, and it's it's very. Uh, as I'm in my fifties and uh, well into my fifties, it's it's good to see people that are still have something to say who still have are or discovering their artistic nature and their sides of journey, you know, it's never too late, honey. <laughs> <laughs> well said. <laughs> so are you still like in rural New Jersey? Was that, is that my, or no, right okay. now I am in the Poconos. You're I, I thought maybe you were from Pennsylvania originally. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm from oh. uh, New York originally. Oh, and then oh Chicago. okay. And then okay. California and then New York. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. I say it's never too late to be creative. I feel like what's been one of the most exciting things in the few screenings we were able to do before the pandemic um, was to see how inspired some of the young women were. Sure. Upon seeing, I mean, there were some who came to me afterwards who were crying, who were so touched by the film because they, they saw... felt like finally someone was telling their story without apology. Yeah. And also some of them have made films, short films that I'll be showing actually in, in some festivals in Europe. Oh, um, so, so, so that... some of these, are you saying that some of the women that approached you or were, uh, some of the filmmakers over the last year or so that you've met yeah. have short films that are thematically along similar lines or, and then you're going to include well, them in. Uh, they started to make them as students. So they're students. Oh, okay. And I've, one of them I've... is my, in, was my intern, Emma Swider. And she, you know, was inspired by the film. She actually worked on the film. She was my okay. assistant editor. And <laughs> of course of seeing my work and Lydia's work, she became so inflamed and made an extraordinary film called Marin Company. And, you know, it, it, to me, that, that's so satisfying to be able to inspire other people to be creative. And that's, that's why I say it's never too late. You could be 70 years old. My hope is that you're inspired by something in your life that inside you are burning to release. 
Well, it's a matter of being open and just being open to it. I mean, that's the the whole thing, you know. Yeah. You're lucky enough. And also sometimes to be open to feeling your own discomfort. And I think that for me, when I am open to feeling discomfort, it often informs what I need to think about in regards to my own personal growth and, you know, insights into myself. Because that's usually why one feels uncomfortable. Is there something that you're that is being tapped into or being triggered that you really don't want to look at. And, you know, if you can look at it and sit with the discomfort, that can be revelatory. All right. Oh, do you have little, little dogs? Yeah, sorry about that. That's, That's uh... okay. My cat usually walks through, but I, I left her in my daughter's room. <laughs> I've been up in the Hudson Valley. I left New York city also, I kind of, you were talking at the beginning about this last year and all the gifts you sort of have gotten out of it. You spoke for me because uh, I had the same, same type of experience where I just, it's been such a great last year, just leaving New York City. I needed the break. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I need the break now forever. I'm actually moving yeah. to Savannah. You, oh, that's another big news breaking uh, <laughs> announcement here. Savannah, why Savannah, Georgia? What? Well, it, my my daughter Lola, she's been accepted oh. to Savannah College of Art and Design, mm-hmm. and she was very excited about. It. She's extremely talented in multiple ways, super smart. And she said, "Well, I'm so excited about going, but the only thing is, I wish you guys would come with me." <sighs> so uh, we have a very small, tight. Uh, loving family, just the three of us. And my, my partner is Jim Coleman, who's a musician with the, Oh yeah. Was with a cop shoot cop and is now with human impact new band with Chris Spencer Mm -hmm. of the, of unsane. And they'll, they'll be playing out big time. Um, And so we just said, yeah, let's, let's go. Let's go. We, we love being with, with her. That's so, that's amazing. So are, but you're keeping the place in the Poconos? Yes. Yes, we are. That'll be your. Summers. It's gorgeous here in the summers. I think it's supposed to be gorgeous in Savannah, but it's probably quite. Too hot in the summer. Yeah. It gets hot and probably muggy there. Yeah. But it is a beautiful, uh, from what I, I, it's one of the few places that I've always wanted to go to. I haven't been there. Just, you know, it's like not on the weight of anything. <laughs> um, so, so you have to be going to Savannah, and I just haven't had a, I haven't been invited yet. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's, I, it sounds spectacular. Just it is, yeah. What I hear, I've only been there once when we went to see her, see the school, and I just fell in love with it. And I yeah. don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We, you know, sure. The good thing is, we'll be back here, and it's very where we are here in the Poconos, very close to the city still, and uh, you know. I just, I really, I need kind of the nature. I really need nature. I agree. Yeah. You know, late, late seventies, early eighties. It was like New York city was my home, the home I never had. It had the intensity and gloriously filthy demolished streets. I loved it. Creative energy was just vibrating, vibrant. And, you know, it's not there for me at all all anymore just the corporatization and the millionaires and the co-ops and it's just like 
shopping malls. I'm like, I cannot be there anymore. So I, know, I agree. I people say you yeah. left New York. I said, no, New York left me. Yes. You know, it sounds <laughs> exactly. like a cliche. Sounds like a cliche, but I had this. I again, you're speaking for me too because I had the same feelings about when I moved. You know, my younger time in New York, but that's also part of it. You know, they always say New York is for the young, but. I hope I that I, it, you know now it's for people with a lot of money and friends. Yes, it's, now it's Wall, Wall Street. Exactly, not where I want to be. But I happen to be in the city today because I'm heading to uh, New Jersey tomorrow for Father's Day, and then I'm going to LA for a week to see my kid. And uh, where are you living? Uh, now? What's that? Are you you're in Hudson Valley? Yeah, yeah, and it's so it's it's just so beautiful, and it's just. Every day I just, I'm just so happy <laughs> just when I go, you know, when I go for a bike ride or a walk and I'm just like, it's just so beautiful. And I just never get tired of it or, I, I, you know, living, I have to pinch myself to realize that I'm living in kind of like a very, a version of paradise to me. I totally agree this morning. I said it to Jim this morning. I, we both did yoga in our backyard. I'm like, this is a new experience. <laughs> I never yeah. did that before. I was like, I'm looking at the trees and the sky and the birds flying by a hawk, you know, all this. I'm like, wow, at my age, I can have these extraordinary feelings that I've never had before. These sensations that went through my body. And yesterday we went on this long walk in the woods and then we came to this like idyllic place with water uh, and just jumped in this uh, this stream that was deep and cold and fresh and right you know, well I, it's the most natural thing of all that's what you're supposed to do it's just an animal in nature and i hated i hated nature though all those years i was in new york i was like i do not want to go to the country no never well, you, yeah well you um, know the powers some the you know of that that are had a different plan for you at the time yeah, well, you but, needed but, to put, you know. Well, the 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 city fed me creatively. Yeah, sure, sure. The city does not feed me creatively. You anymore. gave back. And nature, it doesn't give back. It and and nature is giving forever, right? Until we completely destroy it. <laughs> and that is another podcast. Okay. <laughs> itself, the Adam. But, thank you so much. Sure. Really Let's, great. I I love talking to you. And um, I again, I, I'm going to invite you again when they okay. release when Kino Lorber releases your uh, your your you know back catalog. It sounds uh, which will be uh, remastered and um, restored, restored and remastered. They look gorgeous. They look so incredible. That they do. And then we can talk about those films because sure, it's such such a fascinating history. I can't wait. No, no, and I want to see the everything too. I can't wait. And we'll just remind people that Lydia Lunch, the war is never, what is it? Lydia Lunch now? The war is never over. War is never over. It is never over. Remember that, folks. It's, uh, yeah, I should remember that. The uh, Lydia Lunch, the war is never over, opens July, June 30th, excuse me, June 30th. June 30th. At the IFC Center in New York City. And and then uh, I assume elsewhere? Yes, it, it it has like something like 15 cities and we're going to expand to probably 20 cities around the country theatrically. Mm-hmm. Some will be physical, some will be virtual. Right. So check your local theaters and museums. And Lydia and I will be there on June 30th. Lydia is going to be playing live 
on July 2nd, 2nd. at TVI. So TVI come see us. in Brooklyn. Yes, in Brooklyn. So come see us at the IFC Center in New York City and uh, say hello. Thank you so much, Adam. Thank you, too. Okay, take care. You, too. Independence, Bye-bye. survival. My themes have always been universal themes about the imbalance of power, about injustice, about trauma, and how do you survive and thrive beyond that? Lydia is a fucking doctor. Her kind of medicine is just a punch in the fucking face. Scenes from an Empty Church stars Kevin Corrigan, Max Casella, Thomas J. Ryan, and Paul Reiser. Also, by the way, we should mention Craig Berko, for those who know who he is. He, he has a small role in the film, but it's very memorable. It's uh, out today. Today is the uh, Friday, July 2nd, is the theatrical and digital release of Scenes from an Empty Church. The release comes one week after the film's world premiere on opening night of the Chattanooga Film Festival. In a lockdown New York City... In a lockdown New York City, two priests open their church doors to those seeking salvation during the most isolating of times. From the commonplace to the truly metaphysical, their visitors reflect the full spectrum of personal crises of spirituality. Throughout their encounters with the city's sweetest, wildest, and weirdest, the two priests, played by Corrigan and uh, Ryan, learn the importance of connection, empathy, and open-mindedness. Sometimes a little faith is all you need to make it through the bad times. Writer-director Owner to Kell, and featuring standout performances from Kevin Corrigan, Max Casella, and Thomas J. Ryan, all here on Film Wax Radio. Scenes from an Empty Church is a uniquely timely and timeless spotlight on the search for life's meaning, told with to Kell's trademark wit and wisdom. I think this is Owner's eighth time on the show. It's been a while. Glad to have him back. Glad to have Thomas back. Glad to have Kevin back, as always. And welcoming Max Casella to Film Wax Radio. New York is on life support. The shops are closed. Our church is also empty. How are things up in New York? There no anarchy in the streets? It's nothing in the streets. The streets are empty. It's creepy. Hey, there he is! Look at you. Look at you. Father Andrew. Is that what I'm supposed to call you now? Or can I just call you Andrew? Who's this? Paul. Hi. This is an old friend of mine. A dear old friend. This guy was wild back in the day. It's a good thing he found God or he'd probably be in prison right now. It's not even remotely true. We need as much connection as we could get right now. If that's the case, why not open up the church? No, it's too dangerous. So you're afraid? Aren't you afraid? It would give people hope. I think you're right. But it has to be conditional. Of course. We have to practice absolute safety. People can come in to pray by appointment only. Shorts off. To Cal. How are you, sir? Good as, look how handsome that man is. Good to see you. Oh, I thought there was somebody behind me. <laughs> Listen, every now and then I have to glance at my email because we're still, if you can believe this, trying to get uh, landmarks cleared in the montage scene. You saw the movie. Did you watch the movie? Uh, no, but I heard good things. Yeah, so there's a no, scene. Of course I saw. There's, yeah, oh, you had, so there's a montage scene with the soul that's flying through the city. Yeah, yeah, sure, I know. We've Lincoln got everything Star- cleared, and then we're just trying to get pre- paperwork and credits finalized. So wow. every now and then, if you see me looking at something, it's only because we're at the 11th hour. We're in produ- We're in post-production with you in real time, is what you're saying. That's exactly that's right. Part of that no, place. I noticed that scene, and I noticed in the closing credits, 
and maybe they're being modified, but that that you give thanks or uh, attribution to Lincoln Center and yeah. all those spots that are in that montage scene, you know? Yeah, it's it was cool. kind of arbitrary. I just want to pick a lot of places that maybe tourists and people in New York would know that it was just yeah. a celebration of the city. Although it's, you know, we can talk about it. Are we recording now or how are you going to Yeah, be- yeah, yeah. We, well, you know, I mean, if something comes up parents? or somebody doesn't want, wants me to edit, you know, let me know. But yeah, we're, we're, we're on, I guess. So you're doing it Mark Marin style. You're just going to like start recording. Well, you and, know how it, it's not like this isn't your, this isn't, your, by the way, Max, yeah, right. yeah. I just want to say Max, I've seen you, I've seen you around on the street. Do you live downtown, sort of? Yeah, I live on down in the West, West side. There's a building out your window that looks like it's in my neighborhood. Oh, well, I'm not, I'm certainly not that close. I'm, I'm in a friend's on the Upper West. I'm way up on Upper West right now. Oh, okay. Never mind then. Yeah. So are you, so you're, are you down? At, you're further, you're like, hundred blocks south. Yeah. Lower West. Thomas J. Ryan, Mike Cicella. What a treat this is for, it's like, you know, I've, I've had an indie orgasm or something. I, it's, is that appropriate? <laughs> it is with this group. It of people. is. It but, is. Yeah. Four white guys. You, you can totally say anything you want now. It's totally fine. You know, uh, and, right. Nobody's and, listening. <laughs> Well, yeah, Max, I should also, I want to say that I have a little bit of history with everybody else on this uh, call. So, you know, I wanted to give you just that heads up if it looks like I'm being overly familiar. Uh-huh. And, 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 and Mr. Ryan, are you still in, uh, are you still in Fort Greene? I am. I am still in the place where we met. Okay. Um, you have been doing such great work. I've been watching all of these things. You have, uh, yeah. I'm like, uh, it, it, they're just, they're just great. The, the, Thank you. Uh, yeah, that means a lot to me because you don't get, I don't know, because you just don't get as much feedback. Yeah, you did that really interesting one on the new biography of Cary Grant. Yeah, I was like things like that. I mean, I'm really interested in them. I think you do. You're doing and Ileana Douglas, all of that. It's just great. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Been- it's really been, it's been, uh, it's very gratifying to do those types of things because, you know, you have to do some work involved <laughs> beyond just seeing a movie. You really kind of have to really do a little bit of work anyway. It's a good book. If anybody has, wants to uh, read a recent biography of Cary Grant. Uh, I read it. It's good. Yeah. I'm going to so text Kevin to tell him to get on because we've started, right? Sure. Yeah. Uh, this is going to be we, video then? This is video, not just audio. Doing video Yeah, too? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. All right. Are you guys running air conditioning in your place? I can't, it gets too loud if I run it during that. It gets so hot during yeah, these you really things. Have so I'm going to be very sweaty, but you know, that's a call. Yeah. Uh, well, we can, I think we should also, I don't know if Stacy's going to pop in and say something, uh, but it, uh, in the meantime, uh, I, uh, if, if we're throwing praise around owner, bravo, first of all. This movie really touched me, and uh, oh. it's it's the it's like a real director's job, you know. Uh, oh, thanks, I mean, Adam. I appreciate that. I had a, one of my really. I've, I've had a lot of friends who've seen all my work, and almost all of them unanimously say when they watch the movie, it's like, Warner man, I knew you had it in you, you know. Like I, we knew you could make something mature and sweet and truthful and honest, and you know, it, it, in all in, in all fairness, and I think anybody who sees the film, you included, will know that. It is, um, it's, it's a, a performance, a performer's movie, an actor's movie, you know? Totally, and, totally. And I feel like anything I've learned over the years is, um, especially acting in my own movies to empathize with what actors go through is I've learned that if an actor can be comfortable 
um, I think you can get the best performance out of them. So I think that was my job to, I, it was hard to make people comfortable in a time of the pandemic, obviously, but I think, and, and Max and, and Tom and Kevin can speak to this, is I tried to make everyone comfortable. I tried to be on my best behavior. I tried to, you know, get out of the way when possible and only add feedback when I needed to. But it was right. really just um, such a joy to watch what uh, Kevin and, and Tom and Max do in the movie. And I learned so much. And to just really just facilitate everything and make sure everything was run smoothly and get out of the way. But I really appreciate that, um, Adam. I, I, I really, because uh, I'm really, really proud of it. I think it's easily my best movie. But then when you make a movie like this, when everybody's contribution is so important, I don't feel like it's my movie. It's everybody's movie, you know? And um, well, yeah, so, yeah. yeah, but you're, you're the, you're creating the, uh, I imagine the tone and the you're you're creating the safe place for <laughs> as we to Kevin, hello, the cave Kevin? here. We've got Kevin in the cave. Kevin uh, in the dark, but, yeah, Plato's cave there, you know. Yeah. So yeah, Kevin cave. is <laughs> Hey pal. We're in some darkness. I'm gonna I keep the cave on the scene. Do hey, it, thanks. do it. It's totally I'm down with the cave. So Kevin, I was just I was glow, gushing again about your performances. Get it all out of the way now because it's like Adam saying, Wonder it's a great job. It's your really strong film he said it touched him and all my friends have been saying that it's my strongest work and i agree i think it's easily my best movie and it's because of you three and i would never even presume to to take that away from you guys because it is a, a but i, I want to be sycophantic the whole time but i'm just really adam look at this this cast that you know I, I assembled you know what i mean like i didn't have to do too much and i just feel very lucky that they were able to to, to do the project you know so yeah and then it it was uh so tell me a little bit about the uh the timeline on it because you know the, for those who are watching this before they get a chance to see the movie and i hope the gap between these two things is very small but 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 that uh uh when it of course covid we were locked down as of uh march i guess march, last march, yeah. 2020 i would say we had, say we, had well, a, we had a script probably in um end of april and we were shooting in july does that sound right for everybody probably may beginning yeah. of may we had a script and we were shooting in july we shot 10 days in july we rehearsed for about you know a month beforehand and rewrote, rewrote the script and, and whatnot but very fast came together very quickly and i kept rewriting as i was going based on input from the actors input from my um uh, co-producer andrew shemin who's one of the dps you know he's a brilliant brilliant very intelligent guy feedback from paul riser we had to rewrite his scenes seven or eight times he was really into it so it was great but it was pretty quick yeah we'll get to that uh so very fast very fast production thomas i think we even spoke about owner when i was once with you so i think you were familiar with his work i know kevin has been familiar with owner's last bunch of movies so max you this was your introduction to owner no, no, I, I was in two other owner movies. Oh my God! Well, I've, I've seen them all. I've known owner for about. Don't correct me on my show, by the way. <laughs> all right. Yeah, uh, yes, Apple, this is the first time I ever met owner was. Uh, last Thank time. you. <laughs> Max, who is that? Is that Max Cassell? I love your work, Max. Oh, oh nice my God! Yeah, big fan. Oh <laughs> you look like the guy who was in this movie. I did three of the movies I made. You know, Wait, which ones were like you in? You, you know? Which ones? So where were you were in? Applesauce. It was applesauce. Apple this sauce. French a French movie that we made before the uh, pandemic, oh, which is coming okay. out um, in the fall, and then now okay. this movie. Yeah, I would have okay, put so Max missed, in everything. I did Max see applesauce, but I, I missed uh, I missed the French one. I haven't seen that one yet. Okay. Thomas J. Ryan and I worked together on a film that we will not talk about because it's. Uh, 
it's a black cloud of it's very scary. I don't want it to. Okay. Well, it's another. It's a whole other. It's a whole book actually of the experience. You know. Okay. It wasn't because it wasn't because we didn't get along. It was just a bad movie well, that I made. He came on. He came on for this film, and he's like, I mean, you know, in a lot of the a lot of it, for God's sake, you, uh, Paul, uh, Tom's, you play a father, uh, James, correct? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Father James. I'll, I'll remind you, you you're playing Father James. <laughs> Kevin, you play Father Andrew. Interestingly, I, I happen to play some a character named Andrew in an earlier owner film, but Richard's wedding, yeah. That's neither here nor there. And you guys have such an incredible chemistry together. It's really lovely watching the two of you. Well, you know, and then and then Paul, Max's character, comes on and the I just love how the you know, your your the dinner scenes that you share in the church. Paul is uh, an old friend of Father Andrew's. They've been estranged because I think, you know, Father uh, Andrew's been in the church and he's kind of, that's his focus. I guess it's safe to say, right? And then through COVID, Paul re-enters into Father Andrew's life. There's also been a recent loss to Father... Father Brooks, Father Brooks. Father Brooks, excuse me, Father Brooks. Kind of the whole idea is, yeah, yeah. Um, You actors better talk because, you know, I've got a big mouth, so you better chime in here because I will keep running my mouth, you know? And but but everyone cut me off too. But um, but yeah, Paul, you know, my, my, Max kind of plays kind of me, a version of me. You know, okay. Paul. Paul is the guy who's agnostic, atheistic, or or on the fence spiritually, searching for something. I don't have a back a deep background with spirituality. I'm a spiritual person, and I have some roots in baptism uh, and, and Baptist because I grew up in a small North Carolina town, but was never never baptized, and you know, all peripherally went to church just because my friends did. But Paul represents kind of me um, and Father James and Father Andrew, uh, Kevin Corrigan's uh, character, Father Andrew, kind of represents Andrew Shemin, who was our DP on the oh. movie, because he was he was someone I co-wrote the story with. And he really has very, very he's a very devout Catholic. He's also Jewish. So there's a lot of you know parallels between Father Andrew. And then um, I would say Tom represents, I don't know, the kind of stern discipline. He, he represents the pan- the authority of the pandemic the um you know Fauci I don't I'm not I'm not I'm not conscious of this as I was writing it but he represents us being cautious and being like fearful because he's lost Father Brooks you know and right he's, he was yeah very he's close in a very him, vulnerable so. he's going through a vulnerable time yeah you know? so I think the three the three characters are very very uh, different and uh and dynamic and, and they all offset each other very well you know so yeah yeah and I think Max, you play Paul again, and you're coming into the church. And in a way, your appearance, which could be a, cha- a challenge or con- provide uh, present a conflict to specifically to I think to to Tom's character, Father uh, uh, James. Mm-hmm. But but in a way, for some reason, Father James responds very positively to him because he kind of, kind of reminds him of the recently deceased Father Brooks. Anyway, so. How was it filming in this church? How, uh, let me ask the actors a little bit about what what, what was it like on the set uh, working in, out of this church? And also, have you ever played priests before? You know, did you do any uh, research or uh, what, what went into into creating these roles? Because they're, I think they're really established. I mean, I really feel like I know who these guys are. So let's start with you, Tom, and then we'll go to Kevin. Uh, yeah, I went to Catholic boys school in high school. So I was taught by a lot of priests. Uh, some of them were very sort of intimidating, frightening, but some of them I really responded to, and they were very kind, uh, nurturing people. 
And, uh, you know, I just want to say this because um, I haven't talked about it, but I do want to say it. You know, the script when I read it did not have any backstory about me and the dead priest. Um, And as I was reading it, because my character is in such mourning, I said to Orner, I said, you know, this reads like they were a couple to me. And most of the priests I knew were gay. They weren't predatory. They I, weren't. I had a, th- yeah. That and to came me, up I just mind. felt like this was in my mind, like a subtextual thing. I never intended for there to be a scene. I never intended, but I said to Orner, I'm going to keep this in the back of my mind. Nobody needs to know about it, but it can inform the depth of my mourning. Because if you're in that situation, you can't really talk. People aren't treating you like your husband or wife died. They're treating you like just some guy died. But you know that this was your life partner. Right. So Orner very, you know, Orner pisses me off sometimes, but God, when he's good, he's good. And when and he took this idea and he wrote that scene in the confessional that could have been so mawkish and stupid and just overshot the mark. And I really just think it's a, a, it's a beautiful, beautiful statement about shame and yet it's got humor and everything else. So to me, that was a way in for me. And, um, and I loved shooting in the church. I think I, all the guys felt this way. It was a very peaceful, beautiful place to be every day. It didn't seem that hard to control the number of people who were there for the shoot. It was a huge cathedral-like space. So I didn't feel really at much risk uh, health-wise. And I was just lucky to be making a movie I was just lucky. The Broadway wow. show I was in had just been shut down and I just was like, I'm never going to work again. So I was, it was an honor. I, I agree, man. That pl- I miss that church. I miss that routine. I wish this was a, uh, you know, a, a, a limited series. Uh, we could keep going back to it and keep going back to that environment. It was like, you know, uh, uh, um, like an oasis it was really womb-like and uh we had that big place that big old place this big old new york church over a hundred years old you could feel the the history of it you could feel the years and you know it was it was a uh, and then that situation with the uh you know we were able to it was like it was like a it reminded me of up in the old hotel the joseph hmm. mitchell stories you know there was like a hotel well you know there were just quarters you know for the where we could go and they were like dressing rooms for us you know but they were like um you know it was like being in an old uh uh, uh joseph mitchell story or something yeah the rectory beside the church yeah, rectory yeah, sure. yeah. yeah so yeah, you yeah. know and then when when they you know you could go up there. I mean, I, I, I caught some Z's up there a few times and then would <laughs> yeah. come, you know, right from that into into the church to do a scene with Max or something. And, the, you know, the be coming out of a dream and then going into another dream, you know, the dream that we're that we create as uh, actors and, you know, the making movies. Um, and. uh, uh we were lucky we had so much space because the crew was so small normally on a big movie that even though we had so much space it would have been completely occupied by the crew and we had 
a ton of space. So just to throw that in there. I, I think we were lucky. We're very lucky that it was a, it allowed for a contemplative experience <laughs> as opposed to the sort of hectic, uh, you know, yeah. rushing that making particularly a small movie usually is like, oh, my God, we have to get these pages today. And oh, mm-hmm. my God. And there was just something contemplative about the situation and the energy that really was very helpful to the energy of the scenes them, themselves, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Max, what was it like for you uh, making this movie? Because it, it is so uh, unique a situation. Uh, it was the most unique uh, filmmaking uh, working experience I've ever had. And I can only just concur with everything that's been said already. I mean, uh, when owner asked me to, to do it, uh, uh-huh. it was like a, like, you know, just like a, a gift from the heavens, you know, it's like, of course I said, yes, without even looking at it, um, wow. to, to make a film in the middle of the pandemic. And I had a play that got canceled. Oh. Um, uh, I just, you know, I guess I had done a pilot, which I had found out wasn't going further. And I was then the pandemic and I'm like, I'm never going to work again, or at least not for a very, very long time. And I was pretty depressed at the time. And then Ona just came along with this thing. It was just like beautiful and to shoot in a church, you know, like this guy said, just great. Such a small crew. It was calm. It was very, you know, contemplative, like he says, and uh, no, it was fantastic. It was a really special experience, and I, I wish that it that it lasted even longer. Like Kevin says, I'd love to do you know do more episodes of this empty church or this church or something. Yeah, like that, you know? I, I thought it was kind of I thought it was kind of cathartic because what else were we going to be doing but sitting in our apartments or our homes with our dread and to come to set and be able to utilize kind of the fear that we were feeling or the uncertainty and to put it into something with a small group of people, um, you know, we, it was like a little family for, for 10, for, for two weeks. And I just thought it was a beautiful experience. I was a little nervous and I, I don't know if I had a ton of joy or experienced a ton of joy because we still did have 10 pages to shoot a day. You know, even though it was very, very slow moving and it was not nearly as rushed as my other films, there was still amount of low level stress that comes with that. And I kept fearing that someone might get sick, you know, every, even though we were being tested and we had our on uh, site, you know, nurse checking everyone's temperatures and everything like that. We, uh, I was still, there was still that fear that someone would get sick, but when it came to just doing the material, perform, watching it, performing it and watching the actors go, I found it very, very rewarding. Just like, I'm so glad we're, I mean, if I were not, I'm not doing this, I'm not putting my dread somewhere. I would be feeling the dread and that's, that would be awful. That was an awful time. Kevin had said, yeah, yeah. What's great is that, you know, um, the way owner writes, I mean, such interesting conversations and scenes where characters are grappling with like philosophical, spiritual, you know, questions. Um, I just remembered shooting a bunch of dinner scenes uh, it was just like heaven because I'm working with two great actors and we have real like great writing to like grapple with these ideas. And there were long, many page scenes, but there was like we were we had all were so prepared and uh, it was it was easy. It was so easy. Yeah, it was like I we were agree. doing a play or something like yeah. that. We'd been rehearsing. Yeah, I definitely I can say I didn't feel joy, but I also didn't feel like it was work. There wasn't the pressure of work. I always felt like we were shooting was like. This is all working. It was never not working. And that was so, I mean, I knew that would happen because we all know each other, but still you never know what's going to happen, especially under those circumstances. 
And I feel lucky that I, I have a relationship with all of you guys where we can have a dialogue about what we're doing beforehand. And you guys aren't afraid to give me, I get to take credit as the writer. Un, I mean, unfortunately, uh, to some degree, but you're, that you're able to give me the ideas to augment and, and, and make the script better, you know? So shark tough. This is going to be an hour of us just, uh, you know, you know, uh, Jerking each other off. Or? I, I, well, I would normally not say something like that with a church movie, but I, if you, you and I are talking about like one of my other movies, I would say that. But it's, I mean, like you know. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was a beautiful experience. Kevin had said something. Kevin, I don't know if you remember before we made the movie, you were like the thought of not making a film during COVID. Like when he decided to do it, Kevin, you can quote me if I'm wrong. The thought of not making the movie during COVID would be as tragic as to COVID itself. You know, the fact that all productions had stopped and that there was nothing happening, that this opportunity was, um, it was a gift in a lot of ways. And the thought of not making it would have been more tragic than, than making it, you know? Oh, yeah. I, I, you know, you read the script and it's like, wow, what a great script. Somebody should write a script like this. Wait a minute. Owner did. <laughs> Owner let's, did. Let's make this. Let's now we make this movie, right? But there was a question of who's going to be in it, who's going to want to come out to 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 make a movie. Well, it turns um, out, a lot, a lot, probably a lot of actors. Well, when you have Kevin Corgan attached to a movie, yes, a lot of actors will want to be in it, and that is exactly Kevin. I wrote the role for you, a Father Andrew, and the and the whole thing was designed. I, I couldn't believe. I, I I'm so thankful it worked. It's like if I get Kevin Corgan on board, I know I can get other people attached. Because they want to work with you, and uh, and and it came through that way. The Craig Bierko scene, um, Craig wasn't even uh, supposed to be in the movie. The scene wasn't even attached when he found out I was making a film, and Kevin Corrigan was in it. He was like, "I want to, I want to be in that movie. Can you huh. write me a scene?" And I and I wrote it for him. So yeah, I mean, Kevin didn't mean to interrupt you. If you're <clears throat> Kevin, um, yes. yes, finish your thought. I'm sorry. Um, well. Uh, I uh, what what else can we say about this this project? Uh, You'd always uh, wanted to play a priest, huh? You'd always wanted to play a priest, right? I was one. Yeah, that's right. I wanted to play a priest since I was since I saw The Exorcist because I love Jason Miller. Yeah, we talked about him. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I could talk about that guy. That that. yeah, you know, I always liked uh, the, the, uh, Pat O'Brien and Angels with Dirty Faces and Carl Malden and On the Waterfront. And it's like, someday I got to play a priest. And uh, that was on your bucket list. Yeah. Um, and uh, but it's such a uh, a great such a such a great script to have land in your lap. Um and uh well i know that when you were we were talking a few months ago kevin i remember you brought it up and i wasn't it was made so swiftly i had never even heard of it of course i haven't been in i guess i hadn't talked to owner in a while but 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 you were like yeah let's get this out like there was like you you had expressed the way you were talking about the film like this they're almost like uh and you felt an urgency to get it out and seen because it was so much of the moment and it was important and it and it acts it's still i think it's the timing is still really good it's like it's been about a year maybe yeah there, I, I think you know some people thought it was irresponsible of us to to go making this movie 
Yeah. Right. I mean, there, there were night. sort of voices of dissent, yeah. you know, right. So hope you I think there's going to be review. There's going to be reviewers who are going to say that, you know, they're inside during the pandemic, at the height of the pandemic, the beginning of the pandemic. They're not wearing masks. They're not adhering to the protocols well, they are supposed to be established, but they're failing to understand that that's not very good cinema. You know, in terms of if we're going to make a movie, even addressing the pandemic, having actors inside, it's going to be like hard enough sell to get people to watch the movie about the pandemic because they may be triggered and we're also living through it. But I don't want to see actors inside wearing masks, talking to each other. That's just that's not going to work from a practical standpoint. So, well, that- you know, to, to, to speak to your to, to the to, to the uh, you referred to my saying something about. We have to make this movie. I, I was because my daughter was going to a, a performing arts school the, in a lockdown situation. You know, performing arts school kind of ceases to be a, an arts school. And I, I she was uh, um, really getting into the filmmaking. And it's like, what are we supposed to do? Not make films now? Now I have an opportunity to go and make a film. Do I go and do it or not? I felt like I was needed to set an example for for you know this kid you know who and we did do the best we could i mean to to say we just sloughed all that off and said oh fuck it let's just right, go into a room and make the you know we, there were protocols we were tested we did you have to remember the time at which this was sag was still trying to figure out how to allow actors to have some bits of work here and there. And this, as opposed to some giant television series or something, this was a, the very first thing I think that shot under a low budget agreement. In oh, the, wow. In, in, and so we were in a, everybody was sort of on uncharted. And I remember talking to the guy from the Screen Actors Guild on the phone and he was Sort of like, well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, we're going to do the best, you know, we want you to do the best. The idea of not letting it happen just seemed so extreme and awful. It it, it needed to be made. And I can't say how grateful I am that it, that it was made. We were as careful as we could be. We were in no more danger than we would have been at the grocery store. And I feel like, um, that's built into the film that this conversation we're having is actually a conversation that the movie incorporates addresses the story yeah. address. Yeah. Yeah. It may have been the, uh, at the time, I don't know, but we may have been one if of the only movie productions going on at the time in July. Yeah. I don't know. For sure. one, I, I wasn't even remotely afraid of getting sick, not even remotely. I was just too happy to be working and doing this. <laughs> yeah. It never Didn't crossed it? my mind that I would ever get, get sick. I was no, just it was a salve. Ecstatic, ecstatic to be doing it. I remember I mean, it was- that about you, Max. And I remember being, being very nervous myself, especially in the beginning. And Max was like, oh, come on. Let's, let's find some joy. There's something so beautiful about these two actors. I can't even tell you. It's like we would do these, you refer to these eating scenes around the table. And we're very different, the three of us. I mean, we have very different energies. Uh, We we go at the thing, you know, with the same vigor, but we all have, we come at different directions. And I could hear as soon as we started to work, the three of us, 
it was like a little jazz com combo. Like mm -hmm. I could hear this person plays yeah. that note. This yeah. person has that energy and this person. And it just immediately. So I don't know who else was offered my part before me. I do know, actually. But um, I feel like it's good they didn't. They were scared of COVID and stayed in Connecticut because yeah, I'm glad actually, What's you know, the energy of the three of us is not something that just you get just plug somebody else. It's just like I, it's a, in my my career, a very unique energy. And um, and Tom, I'll say I'm very, 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 very grateful that they said no. And the reason we <laughs> and the reason we approached them is two reasons. Um, a little bit more name recognition. That that's the only reason because I wanted. No, to but get he's funded. great. He would have been yeah. great. I'm not saying. And that. then and I'm then secondly, I got to say secondly, this is true. And we and we've we've killed the curse. I've been very nervous about since the last time we worked. It was such a horrible experience because and it was my fault. I've been superstitious about it. You know what I mean? I've been in New York for 10 years. You're one of my favorite actors. I've always wanted to come back to you. And I think I've offered you smaller roles and things that you've said no to. But I've been yeah. afraid that like, oh, man, like what if it goes wrong again? And I've just yeah. I've been a little insecure about that. So that was and it could have gone. It could have gone wrong, pal. Yeah, yeah, we had a bad time on that last film. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we, uh, that curse is lifted now, <laughs> thankfully. It sure so is, baby. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I but can't Kevin, get enough yeah, of... Kevin, speaking, going to Kevin's point, though, I agree. It's like I think it's it was it was it was responsible to make the movie to set an example for the young artists that you know said sadie's school it's like we're doing this don't be brave with uh, art can't uh, die make your movie you know yeah, yeah. It was a casfetti said someone said how do you oh someone uh, uh go on uh, kevin i'll help uh, you actor we know uh tells the story i think it was tom noonan who told the story about casfetti he's like he asked him how do you make a movie how do you raise money for a movie or something like that yeah and, and was told if that's what you're worried about, just forget about it. Don't, <laughs> yeah, make, yeah. don't make movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If, you, if you're worrying about how you're going to finance the movie, what's important is to just make the movie. Just go, just just make it, you know. Uh, and it was a little bit of that, too. It's like, so there's a pandemic. That, that's what the movie's about. Yeah. We're going to wait till the pandemic's over to go and make a movie about the pandemic. Yeah. We, we, it's like we're like correspondents here. We need to get out there. We need to hit the hit the uh, uh, hit the ground. I think that's the perfect place to make art is when you're risking death to create something. There's no better reason. Yep, yep, yep. That's what the movie is about. Risk. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I used to be, I used to take risk with, with language. I, I could think of a million like inappropriate jokes that I would spew out right now that I just, I can't because I feel like the risk of uh, of language has been taken away. It's a totally different subject, but I agree with that, Max. I think risk is good, especially when it comes to art, taking risk is what it's all about. But I also feel like we're living in a culture of everything being real. Everyone's just, everyone's so sensitive that I, and it, it actually, it worked really well for this movie because I feel like in a way, this is better to make. I mean, we took the risk of making the film, but the film is not so desperate to offend. I don't think it's offensive at all. I think it's not so de desperate to be provocative. I think it's provocative at times, but um, I'm I'm proud that you know maybe the culture is it's been good for that. You know, but I, but during the pandemic too, it seemed like making a negative cynical movie was redundant. So the idea, I'm I'm totally segueing now into something that you know that's absurd. But but yeah, risk absolutely. But I, I just gotta keep a hold on my Tourette's. I have some kind of mild form of Tourette's where I just want to, I right. hear something. I'm like, Oh, I want to say yeah. this obnoxious thing. So I, 
Well, part of me wishes that it came along a little earlier into my purview because it was so, you know, there's a lot, I think we're as a cult, as a society, we're probably barely started feeling the trauma, the, the PTSD, the trauma from this last year, like what, you know, the full weight of that. And I feel like if everybody can go see this film for, for one thing anyway, I'm not, I know it's not going to change their world necessarily, but I think there is something very salve-like about this film. I was watching it. I, I was in L, I was actually was on visiting my son and the, you know, his mom and sister in LA and I put it on, I was laying on the couch and I said, I got to watch this finally. I've been putting it off because I wanted it just yeah. to be the right moment to watch it, you know? And I was just like, watching and I was just like this is really lovely and my ex was she was sitting nearby and she goes what are you listening what are you watching I couldn't even bring I I don't know where to start well it's owner and it's Tom and Max and Kevin these are like I'm just I'm just blissing out watching this movie but not just because I know you guys but also because I just loved the the not the flow of the movie and the message behind it and what you guys were doing. Clearly it was a love letter, of course, to New York as well. It was like, yeah, New York, you're going to go through this really difficult time right now, but we're there for you and you're going to come back. Cause you're come you're out always, on the other side. Yeah. 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 I, I, I gotta say real quick, maybe something like, different, but you'll come out the other side. Yeah. If you were, if you were a film lover and a lover of performance and, and, and you're not even a fan of, of these guys, if you're not as familiar as you should be with them, if you're a fan of performance in cinema, this movie's going to be brilliant for you. You're going to love it. But also, I think it is comforting. I think to watch, I think it's the opposite of re-experiencing the trauma. I think it's a reminder that things are going to be okay and that there is hope. Yes, and that's what right. the movie does. I, um, right. So I'll just say this real quickly, too. When Contagion, Steven Soderbergh's Contagion, I watched it during the pandemic. And I, even though it's horrible and the things that happen in the movie are 100 times worse than the pandemic, pandemic, pandemic we're experiencing – Everything does work out at the end of that movie, and and it to me it's it's kind of cathartic too to watch that, you know. And I think this movie serves the same purpose. It is a reminder that things will are going to be okay, and, and and it's stressful, yes, but um, I don't know. I feel like the audience can see them. It's a they can see themselves in the movie and see that they're going to come out on the other side. For most people, I mean, we're not out of the woods yet, obviously, and people are, you know can still die. But anyway, yes, I. If I want to echo your point, Adam, if, if that's what you were saying, you know, watching it, the, the performances were beautiful, but also there was something else about it that I think really just works. And it's kind of ineffable to describe. I don't know. You know, I'm, um, yeah. Well, uh, it's called, yeah, I know. It's called uh, Scenes from he an agreed. Empty. He agreed. He, the dog agreed. Loves it. Yeah. Scenes from an Empty Church. Uh, I, it's coming out July 2nd, which is this Friday. Where can people see it? I think I, I think uh, Apple I think Apple uh, not Apple Plus TV but like iTunes I guess whatever Apple is where they'll be able to stream it. Um, they'll have to pay I think I don't know where it's going to be streaming afterwards. But you know normally okay. wherever you stream movies I think Apple uh, iTunes is the main place. You know I don't know if it's going to be like on Amazon or YouTube. I think it'll be iTunes and a few other places maybe and VOD video on demand if if people get their movies that way and stuff. So. Yeah. People need, yeah, we need to get people to get the word out and definitely like, uh, yeah, yeah. I hope some, uh, people, some critics, you know, champion it. I hope some people get behind it. Good. You know, we, we don't have control over that, but, uh, I, I really want people to see the film and I hope I'm not even, I hope I'm not mentioned in any articles because it's like anybody who knows my work is going to be like, this is a departure from owner's movies. No, it's this... not about me. It's about, I just want, you know, 
I mean, Kevin, Max, and Tom, you don't see them in, in leading roles often enough. And I just think what they do here is nothing short of a miracle, if I can be. Well, you got to go to the theater more. Yeah. yeah. Or get like oh, wait, no, no, I, I, premium yes. cable for, for in Kevin's case. But um, yeah. But anyway, I, I, you know, I thank you guys. I just, you know, I hope this next year brings lots of great work for you guys. And, you know, um, Max, nice to make your acquaintance. <laughs> let's do it again uh, owner good luck with the film anything i can do you know of course thank you adam i appreciate you, know. you having us on the show yeah this is great you know and then uh yeah and thank you guys uh kevin max tom for for being here and being being in the movie um it was a great experience like it was an amazing amazing experience when I, when I got to new york you know i make very very low budget movies and i try to raise you know more money it's very difficult my my brand of kind of the things that i write but I'd always, since I've been here, had um, always kind of fantasized about the possibility of making um, the smallest budget movie possible with the biggest cast I could find, you know, not because I want to take advantage of anyone, but, you know, because it's like, that's not the goal, but I just can't, I, I, I don't, people, I don't, it's hard for me to raise money making films, but um, this is like the dream come true in the sense of making um movie couldn't be any smaller in terms of crew and whatnot and also budget and to have the a-list talent that these these behemoths of of acting joggernauts that uh, you know tom you make okay. that face now, you can make now that we're face. dropping each other off now <laughs> you can make that face but tom i you know how much of a of a fan i am of yours you know and that yeah. went back 15 years ago when uh when you know when I first approached you and, and was just like you know such a huge huge fan of Henry Full and you know to me you know again and I've said this before but uh, for any colossal Thomas J Ryan fan Henry Full fan and I there's tons of them out there um, you know I, 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 this is the this is the Thomas J Ryan performance I've been waiting for 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 you know for. 15 years when did Henry Full come out 98 99 for 20 years I've been waiting for this performance now I mean, you were great in uh Faye Grimm and you're great you're great in uh in Simon Grimm and you're yeah, terrific yeah yeah, yeah 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 hey, hey, thank you I, I you know I, I I appreciate that I I um I do think attention must be paid though to the your extreme course correction owner in this movie I don't think this movie reads like any of your previous ones and I've liked a lot of your previous ones and the you're risking something here you're yeah. risking the, th the thing you fear most, which is being called sentimental, which nobody will ever do. But I just think that the fact that you put that out there on the table was a brave thing. So that should be said, too. Thank you for talking about the performances so much. But I think it's a, I think it's a, a, a really risky. And I really love that you say that's the only kind of movie to make right now. And I think that that's a very honorable stance. Well, I think you guys took a good script and, and transcended it and made it really beautiful, you know? I like your cynical side. I find, actually, I, <laughs> I identify with it. I'm, I'm a fan. Yeah. Don't, you know, don't, don't stop making those movies either. Yeah. Well, if I, you I, make a sequel to this, Arna, as you talk about, it will be very cynical. I mean, it will not be in the vein of this, will it? Right. Yeah. Well, you know, what's beautiful about the movie is because we have the astral projection scene and the soul leaving the body, we've set ourselves up where we can kind of delve into the supernatural aspects of the movie. And uh, I would love to make a sequel where Father Andrew and Father James actually go around performing exorcisms around New York. That's what the next that's what the sequel would be. Oh, my God. Craig well, Bierka, like 
Craig Bierko's character might, it wouldn't be like, uh, you know, Linda Blair exorcism, but like Craig Bierko has something evil inside of him that needs to be purged. And Kevin and Father Andrew and Father James would have to purge that, that demon. And I, that's really something I would love to do. And then part three of the trilogy would go back to Paul and Paul having a serious lapse of something he's 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 hit rock bottom again because you see the beginning of that at the at the end of this movie like paul he does not like what he experienced when the when the when the soul left the body he thought that knowledge would you know free him in some way but it actually destroys him you know i think so you're I guess, missing I definitely yeah i think you're missing even a better opportunity there's so much backstory to these characters that, that i think a prequel is actually the way to go because you have as we have already spoke to spoke for we, we said that father james and father brooks maybe there was a relationship there paul has come out of this long period of self-destructive behavior right he's constantly battling inner demons you've got father andrew who's a big jew mm-hmm. right that yeah. paul riser's the big jew dad and then the, you know he's they've got a backstory like what happened there's so much uh, to mine from those stories but maybe it's better on some level also for that just to be backstory i don't know i'm not yeah i like that. that what did you think being jewish yourself what did you think of that did you did it throw Me? you for a loop yeah when you when you um when you watch that part what did you think of that subplot like paul riser when he read well, the script he really liked that revelation you know uh-huh. in the, in yeah me the script, too no he said it threw him for a loop he's like i wasn't expecting that i really appreciated that you know yeah no so. i didn't either and uh, i mean i don't know i got bar mitzvah i i had an adult bar mitzvah at 40 by the way so oh, that's really? what i sort You're... of yeah wow. yeah i don't know it was something i wanted to explore but but um it's a bar mitzvah like the equivalent of being baptized for a christian is it like a rite of passage for yeah 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 but you know you don't actually have to have any uh, ceremony like as a jewish man you are automatically bar mitzvah as they say at 13 so hmm. the ceremony is only that it's only a way of kind of uh uh recognizing in a public way you know and yeah it's it's but, it's a ritualistic but i was raised completely by parents who didn't i didn't go to hebrew school that's why i did it as an adult and my son was about to be born and i was going through a lot of emotional stuff so i said let me see what it's like and um, it was it was it was yeah, a powerful. But, but 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 do you know a lot about but, the Jewish religion and stuff like that? And yeah, did you, well, so it, but there's no salvation at, for the the Jews. The Jews don't believe in like not like a heaven or afterlife. It's no, no, like they you don't. Die. That's what I've always loved about the Jewish religion is that it just dies. I mean, it's 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 you know it's just live a good life, be a good person, and then and that's just what's expected of you. And yeah, then you die, it's and a different no approach reward. to they're looking back at ancestry and tradition and all that, and then looking forward. And there's a different kind of almost whole different perspective. But but you asked me a question. I totally the only problem I had was I think Paul Reiser is only about 16 years older than Kevin. So I kind I of was. That, I can, I, I, that was my only thing. I'm okay with that suspension of disbelief. I believe <laughs> no, that no, Paul of course, could have played Paul, Paul. No, but I, but I, for that question, I feel like Paul could play someone in his early 70s who looks great, and Kevin could look like someone who's in his late 40s who looks like he's in his late 40s, you know, sure. or mid 40s even. So I feel like right. I'm okay with that because they are they are pretty close in age. And I've heard a few people say that, but I'm okay with it. Um, you know, and I always assumed Kevin. I remember when I met you, I always assumed you were Jewish for some reason. I just, uh, you know, with when you Oregon, 
His name is Corrigan. I know, but I'm an, I don't, what do Kevin I know? Corrigan. I'm from North Carolina. I, from North, when you're in North Carolina, when you grow up in North Carolina, I mean, I, I feel like I've become culturally, I feel like I've become a cultural Jew being here for 10 years now in a way, you know what I mean? I feel like, I feel like, I don't know, in my mind, the, neuro, the neurotic liberal Jewish you know, aspect of New York is what grab pulled me into this place and I feel is. like you know what I mean like I connect very easily with with like-minded neurotics you know I'm not an intellectual by any means but I have a lot of I like I have a lot of smart friends I like I like it I like the I, I mine from that you, you know could my, put clips together from all your movies and which would, would probably argue otherwise about you know your sort of cerebral side Max you're half a Jew yeah I'm half Jewish Half a Jew, yeah. <laughs> you went to synagogue. You said, you, you said, him. but you Go said ahead. you went to synagogue looking for meaning at one time. Oh yes, right? I did. Later, my my parents were atheists, so I, I me too. I, me too. I went to synagogue. I went to um, Catholic mass just to find out what what was going on. What seemingly everybody else knew about, except yeah, me and my family. Exactly. So, that uh, was my journey too, Max. Just, that was my motivation too. Yeah, I've been to shul many times. I took communion, which I fucked up because I, I took the wafer out of my mouth to look at it, and the priest screamed at me, "That's body of Christ! What are you doing? Put it back in your mouth!" I was like, mm. "Why were you looking? Did it not taste good, or what was?" It no, going? just like just to see what this looked like up close. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, just like it, what's made out of, you know, like tasted yeah. like a. Ice cream cone. And I, you don't give bar mitzvah bit. if your father's Jewish and your mother's not. Can uh, you give according bar to the Jews? If your mother's not Jewish, you're not Jewish. You're not. You're not Jewish. So but yeah. you know, there, there, I think that things kind of uh, are are a little bit um, flexible. I, that may be the wrong word, but I, you know, you can probably take the necessary steps. There are different levels of conservativeness, you know, around the Jewish uh, faith. So. And and there's they need Jews, you know. Jews are always needed, so they they'll they'll figure it. Like my son, we're kind of like my my Catholic wife, who's not religious, but she she ex wife, excuse me, she, she paging Doctor Freud. So so she she she, she she she's she said called me up and said Jacob's going to have a bar mitzvah this, uh, and I, I tried to remind her he's not Jewish, and he, you know he was baptized. Yeah, but anyway. It's okay. I was talking to, um, I was on the street, I was filming something in Midtown, and I'm sitting on my, my trailer outside on the stoop of it, and three Hasidic Jewish boys came up to me, I guess they were Lubavitchers, and they were trying to, you know, um, recruit, you know, lapsed Jews or whatever, they asked me if I was Jewish, I said, well, my mother's not Jewish, uh, and that didn't seem to phase them. So because they, they oh. my father was Jewish. My mother was a cat, not even a Catholic, but not Jewish at all. And they didn't mind. They they proceeded to try to like talk me into like becoming a religious. Well, maybe they're relaxing on that aspect. <coughs> they'll, have, they, they, they'll, they'll free up the possible recruits by by another 50 percent if they allow, you know, Jew, right. with Jewish. You know, the, I guess the, the thinking was like you you always know who the mother is, but you never can be positive 100 percent right. father yeah is. that makes sense yeah 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 so, I don't know. can yeah. i ask a quick question to, to has anybody been baptized then i mean uh, tom baptized so you're going yeah, to heaven you're going to heaven kevin are you baptized yeah you're going to heaven too i'm going to hell i'm going to hell max is going, going to, hell. to hell shartoff you're not well, you're 
I, you know, right. I didn't realize a lot of Jewish people had, you had our Catholics. Bill Maher, I think, was Catholic, and he's he's Jewish, right? I didn't realize that about I him. I don't know. I know that he's half Jewish. I just didn't rem- oh, I don't remember. Okay. I assume okay. it's his mother because uh, he's, his last name is Maher. Yeah, is that, yeah. Which I think well, is Irish. Uh, is that Irish? Okay, gotcha. Ma- right, Mayor, Mar. Anyway. You know, uh, if we ever do a sequel where we show Father Brooks, the person I would want to play the part, and this is based as much as anything, Adam, on your interview with him recently, Udo Kier. Oh, interesting. Wow. What was in that interview that made you want to... That made you He was an old gay sitting in his Palm Springs house with a painting behind him of two pigs fucking oh wow and this was how he this was the zoom not kosher he had not kosher <laughs> <laughs> and i was like this is the guy this is this and he's also of course he's udo kier so he's a bit frightening yeah. i was and terrified i like that yeah <laughs> that's great yeah he's Father an Brooks- amazing person he's an amazing presence and I don't know if that movie's good, but I do. I do want to see it because I just admire him. So I think it's great that he got a, a movie where somebody just focused on him. I just think that's yeah. really interesting. Oh, and I don't think he was directed in that movie as much as uh, I appreciated the director. He's, but I, I think they did the wise. They just said, "You do you," <laughs> you know, to borrow that expression. There, there was a we shot an, and there's a photo of Father Brooks that we took of my father who was going to play Father Brooks. I, I, I did a Photoshop picture of him and in, uh, in the collar and stuff. And there was a photo on uh, Father Andrew's desk when Kevin is writing. We see Father Brooks and he's we show him when Ke- when Kevin's talking about Father Brooks' death. And my mother, my dad's been dead for about seven years, and my mother didn't want me to use it because she thought it might she thought it might offend some of the the, the Muslims on his side of the family in Turkey because he was he, my dad was. He was agnostic. He wasn't Muslim. He wasn't Christian. He wasn't anything. I mean, he believed in something, but she thought it might offend them if he played, you know, a, a gay Catholic priest. Because I'm like, Dad, I would, if we were like, Dad's going to play this priest, and he, he's gay and stuff, and, and that's fine. He, Dad wouldn't have a problem with that. She's like, maybe not, um, but you know, you know, it might have. They were just. She's conservative in that sense. You know what I mean? My mom's not. Was my mom wasn't homophobic. Or anti-Catholic or anything like that. It was just a matter. But I, I you know, I still have the the photo, and I, anyway, just a, a piece of. No, your father's fired. I want Udo Kier. Udo <laughs> Kier, yeah, of course. <laughs> I'll, I'll but my pick. dad also had a lot of photos of pigs fucking too. He just didn't put them around the house. They just weren't they weren't displayed. You know, when when we didn't have company, he put them up, but not not when we had company. Take those photos now. So. <laughs> Adam, what do you think of that? About, pigs fucking, just the phrase pigs fucking. If you talk about the musicality of language, pigs fucking as a phrase just always sounds it's a great, it's a great eye. I mean, look, if it wasn't for pigs fucking, we wouldn't have bacon, we wouldn't have pork chops. Kevin taught me how to make a pork chop. He uh we texted back and forth. He taught me the perfect way to make a pork chop, which is just Kevin, do you remember? Can you tell us that quick right? I, I remember minute? telling you, but I can't remember the you said to singe it, uh, to do something oh, to warm it up it. or something for uh, for a few minutes in the oven, and then singe it oh. in the frying pan just for a minute or two on both sides. You know, we're doing an interview to promote the film here, Arner. <laughs> I know. Do you, are you aware? Adam's Did they gonna, tell Adam's you that? Gonna, okay, Adam's going just... to edit this. He's going to edit this down. Okay, right. I'll, I'll, I can be quiet. Yeah, Adam, you're editing this. This is if and if we got completely off track, I, I'm to be blamed for it because I should be saying. 
you know, this is, yeah, this is sort of bonus content for my Patreon okay. subscribers, <laughs> which okay. I, I, all of which I have 13. I just lost this. two of them in the last no, hour. Go up, <laughs> the people who are into bestiality and things will, will totally get into this. This will go down as the pigs fucking episode, which is fine with me. I got to respect your guys' time. You must, guys must have things going on. Max has an interview coming up. So yeah, and I got to take care of this. Uh, oh, right. All these, uh, these, this paperwork and stuff. But, uh, but yeah. All right. But yeah, so I see- hope you weren't trying to cut it short because of time. That's because it felt like you were trying to, you know, truncate the interview. We, we're here for you, Adam, if you want to Thank talk, you. But- no, this has been, uh, I, I'm so delighted. I thought it was going to be a half hour. And, and I, I think the core people that listen to my show do enjoy this kind of stuff. I, I would imagine. I would. But we'll remind people, Scenes from an Empty Church, uh, directed by, and written by Owner Tukel. Written and directed by Owner Tukel. Written, uh, written but but co- the story was co-written with me. Oh. With Ad- uh, Andrew Shemin did the Andrew co-story Shemin. with me. He, right. he, he, we, we, we went back and forth with emails. I had a ton of questions. And he is just, I would send him two pages of questions and all these, you know, ideas okay. about the link between Judaism and, uh, and, and Christianity and all these questions about the Torah and the Torah. And then he would just send me seven or eight pages back really beautifully written detailed he's a beautiful writer and and then you know and for things like the baptism scene he would help me get the minutia right about that or the, the right scripture on that um the scene where uh kevin and father andrew and paul are talking about the link between judaism and christian you know the idea that you know judea judaism uh catholicism completes judaism you know jesus came to fulfill the old testament he wasn't there to negate it I thought it was beautiful. And like, that's right out of an email from Andrew. You know what I mean? So a lot of specific, by the end of the movie, when I wrote the scene where they scatter the ashes, Andrew read everything that I wrote. He would read the script and be like, yeah, you can't, you can't scatter the ashes in Catholicism. That's a big no-no. What the fuck do I know? So he would help me, you know, fix that. So he was indispensable to, you know, and there's still a couple of things that are like, you know, that would make some of the Catholics, the, the really devout Catholics bristle and say, that's not quite right. But, you know, he was cool with it. And, um, you know, and he also he'll he'll also take with a grain of salt, for example, the scene where Paul and um, his girlfriend, you know, they're debating what the pandemic is going to keep happening. And it's a coup with Mother Nature causing all these, uh, you know, the, the pandemic and whatnot is going to continue happening for years. He's basically she's basically scaring the hell out of Max. You know, she tries to refute a lot of the things Max is saying with Constantine and a bunch of other things. And, you know, and, and you know, and, 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 you know, Andrew Shemin would he would roll at eyes at his eyes at some of those debates and say a real Catholic would rip apart her argument right now, you know, about Constantine and other stuff. Um, so, but, you know, it was we, we had 90 minutes, 95 minute movie. You know, you could you could and you could take any of these scenes in the film and expand it. So, so it's so much larger, you know, for, for people who can actually debate these things. I saw sure. Christopher Hitchens once, you know, Christopher Hitchens, philosopher, late great philosopher who, who wrote the book, God is Not Great. I saw him debate a, a preacher in Durham, North Carolina, Raleigh, North Carolina, years ago. I ended up, after the, after the debate, I ended up smoking a cigarette and sharing a bottle of uh, whiskey with him, you know, just for a brief moment. And I have nothing else to offer with that conversation, just that it was very, it was the thrill of my life. I love Christopher Hitchens. He was amazing, you know. So, so do I. I'm jealous of that story. Yeah, yeah. It was very, very cool, you know. Um, it was a few years before he died, so it was uh, it was very cool to listen. He's so eloquent and respectful, but at the same time, very stern and very you know backed up by 
facts. I've watched I've watched countless debates on religion between him and various Jewish Catholic uh, intellectuals, priests yeah. and rabbis, and I mean, I just uh, love that stuff. I love and, the whole question of it. And there's a the the main priest. What is that called? The Dionysus. Who the the main priest of the church of the parish. His name's Father George Rutler. Dias, he's a Dionysus. Dionysus. He's uh yeah he's the uh, he had to vet what we were doing because he's the head of the church at the time of the oh. church we were shooting in so he read the script and he gave us his uh, blessing and you know but he he also had it he almost got into a fist fight with Christopher Hitchens I mean Father George Rutler is a very renowned man he's written twenty five books or so on faith and religion and spirituality so he has a he you know, he's he, he's very very you know respected and, and popular but he actually almost got into a fist fight during a debate you know I wow. I love Hitchens too just his style just his confidence just his eloquence you know and i have to you know yeah so anyway yeah okay well there's a documentary to be made just put yeah. that in your on your list uh thank you everybody I, i'm gonna let y'all short off good seeing you good good seeing your face man and, uh, good to see you my friend very Great much to see you. kevin you, tom max good seeing everybody too see you all soon bye-bye bye. Yeah. bye-bye do you reject satan sure they have 10 minutes. Well, some people might need more than that. Who prays for more than 10 minutes? Even the Pope doesn't pray that long. You think God wants to listen to that? Does my husband cheat? I can't tell you that. Why? If I told you that, then I'd have to go to Rome to be pardoned by the Pope himself. I thought you were an atheist. Me? No, I'm not an atheist. When I went to seminary, you totally made fun of me because you're Jewish. When you read all these religions, when you get past the, the, the surface stuff, we all want the same thing. Peace. Clarity, contentment. It's kind of beautiful. I saw the soul, the physical soul, leave a body. What does it look like? Maybe you're spending too much time at that church? Yeah, those are my friends. My son, the mensch priest. I love you. She's going to show you something that will blow your mind. Everyone sins. Yeah. Well, thanks, everybody. That was an especially meaningful episode to have so many friends coming back on the show. Don't forget our Patreon. If you enjoy the show, just consider subscribing, kicking in a few shekels, and it goes a long way. And then if you, if you feel like you'd rather uh, just leave us a star rating review, you can go to uh, the Apple Podcast app or go to the Stitcher app and leave star ratings and reviews. And those also are tremendously helpful. I really appreciate that. We'll be back, of course, in a a matter of days with a brand new episode of the show. In the meantime, do take care of yourselves and the ones you love. I bet I may as well try and catch the wind When sundown pales the sky to hide a while behind your smile and everywhere I'd look your eyes would find for me to love you now would be the sweetest thing would make me sing I bet I may as well try and catch the wind Hung